0: Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. He comes to us from the UK. I've talked to him four times in the past. His name is Tim Tate. And our first conversation was about an excellent book. Our conversation was back in 2019. It was Hitler's Secret Army, A Hidden History of Spies, Saboteurs, and Traitors in World War II. And uh, we've gone on to talk about uh, another book that he published this year, 2021, title of that is The Spy Who Was Left Out in the Cold, The Secret History of Agent Golenevsky, published May 2021. And then we also talked about the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, crime conspiracy and cover-up, a new investigation, which I think is very timely, considering what's going on with Sirhan Sirhan. And then we also talked just last month about a documentary he made uh, titled Dirty Little Secrets, which was really about kind of the secret use of biological agents and warfare in North Korea that I'd never heard in the United States, so it's, it seems like that was something that was a memory hold. So that was really a fascinating interview. But today we're going to talk about a very uh, sensitive subject. We're going to talk about child murder and pedophilia and child pornography. So those themes are very dark, so I just want to issue a warning to all listeners, you should not listen to this with uh, sensitive listeners or uh, children. So this is going to get pretty bleak, and we're going to talk about uh, somebody who I think is very well known in the UK, but maybe the US audiences don't talk about. It. And we're not going to talk about it in a salacious manner. We're going to try to look at it this topic objectively and soberly. So it does get very dark, but I think uh, I think it's important to talk about these subjects. There's a theme within this book of like how. There's this code of silence surrounding these topics and this behavior, and I think that it's a mistake to have that. I think it should be brought to light and talked about and discussed and investigated. Uh, Tim Tate also has a a career spanning almost four decades. He's published 16 nonfiction books, made more than 80 documentary films for all British and several international networks, and written for national and regional newspapers. Three of his books have become bestsellers. His films have been honored by Amnesty International, the Royal Television Society, UNESCO, the Association for International Broadcasting, the New York Festivals, the U.S. National Academy of Cable Broadcasting, and the International Documentary Association. And uh, I've listed out some of I've listed out some of his books um, in my previous interviews, so you can go back and check those out at William Ramsey Investigates. But his website, you can also see all of his works at u k. But again, we're going to talk about this book, Murder of Childhood, and some very disturbing subject matter, but I do think it's important to uh, bring this to light. So, Tim Tate, thank you for coming on the show. It's great to uh, have you back. Thank you very much for having me. Um, maybe people haven't heard of our earlier discussions. You've had just an incredible uh, journalistic career in different mediums. Can you kind of talk? You, I know you've written books, other child trafficking books involving um, something, some places that Will come up in this book Amsterdam Copenhagen but can you kind of talk about how you got interested in this subject of pedophilia and child trafficking sure I mean it's it goes back decades I in the
1: 80s the early 1980s I was working for an investigative radio program on the BBC here in the UK and I made a a radio program about children in, in what you would call foster care we call care and the, the lack of, not just rights, but the way they were treated. And that led social workers and police to get in touch with me, just at the point where I was transitioning from radio into television on another investigative series. Um, and that led to a film I made in 1987 and a book which came out Couple of years afterwards, about child pornography. What we now more in more politically correct time times term indecent images of children, but child pornography is kind of what everyone understands it to be. I I O C. You use that acronym in the book, sorry. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the current acronym, I guess. For the sake of convenience, I'm just going to call it child pornography here. Though your viewers and listeners should understand. This isn't pornography as they understand it. All that it is, all that we're talking about is the record on film, videotape, or in photographs of the sexual assault, torture, abuse, and in some cases death of children. This is not pornography. This is the the recording of a very serious, appalling crime. So I made the film and wrote the book. And That this was in 1987 to 1990, and one film leads to another, one book leads to another, and more police officers, more social workers, more specialists in this field, talked to me, and it was plain that we had a very serious problem in the UK and worldwide. I was working from 1987 with U.S. law enforcement, U.S. customs then had a groundbreaking and incredibly important unit which targeted the distribution of child pornography, as did the US Postal Service, and I worked very closely with both of them. I also worked and began working in 87 and would carry on working for the next 20 years with a man called Ray Wire, who in this country was quite simply... The best expert at pr- interrupting the cycle of offending that paedophiles, paedophiles as you call them, go through, and it's, and you know Ray was Ray was utterly untrained in a formal sense. He wasn't a psychiatrist. He wasn't a psychologist. He was a former prison probation officer, but he had worked by the time I met him with numerous men who had sexually abused children in prison. He'd worked with them and had realized that there was a major problem. This is in the early eighties, because in the UK then what we did, if we caught men who sexually abused children, is we threw them in prison for two or three years on the assumption that somehow throwing them throwing them in prison would prevent them from reoffending when they emerged when they were released and of course it didn't it, right. it never does it never will well, sorry to interrupt
0: but like the cycle of reoffense of standard pedophiles is like off oh yeah the charts like it's and you had one guy in your book i think it was stated by wire he was 70 years old and had been abusing boys his entire life and never been caught so a lot of these guys continue on this cycle sorry By and large,
1: if you're, um, for want of a better phrase, a career pedophile, you are not going to stop unless someone stops you or someone helps you stop. Worse, what Ray discovered was worse, was yes, we threw these guys in prison for two or three years, but because of the nature of their offenses, they tended to get put on prisoner segregation units they weren't in genpop general population and they were put placed with other pedophiles and that meant they reinforced constantly like a kind of washing machine or spin dryer their aberrant beliefs and their belief that it's okay to abuse children and it gave them a ready-made contact book of other pedophiles and other contacts to get in touch with when they got out of prison. And sure enough, they do and did. So Ray began working with men, these men. The prison service didn't like it. He had to leave and go into into private business. By the time I got to know him first in 1987, he was established as quite simply the most effective practitioner who could and did interrupt the aberrant thinking, the cycle of offending, so that men with whom Ray worked, by and large, and it takes a long time, you can reframe the conversations that are going on in their head, so that they don't, or are much, much, much less likely, to abuse children again. and Ray saw it and said it as it is. This is this is the best form of child protection we you're gonna get.
0: And he the word he uses he wanted to understand. So he's really trying to get them to talk and, and figure out the way they thought their justifications, understanding yeah,
1: the process There's two sides to this, and you know, I want to couch this quite carefully. I sat in over a 20-year period on numerous sessions that Ray held working with men who had sexually abused children all their lives and I sat in on those sessions so I you know I can testify to what they were like there's a common misconception or a, a misbelief that this this they're in some way soft and gentle and kind absolutely not yes ray and we need needed to understand why how where why and in what way pedophiles operate because if you don't understand you can't stop them but there was nothing gentle about that those sessions and generally because they were group sessions men who were further on in the treatment program would be incredibly harsh on pedophiles who came into them newly and were still justifying their offending as is common practice amongst pedophiles until the point generally where you could see and it was literally a light bulb moment for most of these men you could see as an observer the light switching on in their head and they realized what they had done and what it meant and that's the first step in preventing them doing it again. So that's how I got into it. And I worked with Ray, as I say, for 20 years and made films and wrote books. And that is how the Robert Black film and then
0: book came came into being. So there was a film too. What was the title of the film? The film title was the same as the book, The Murder okay. of Childhood. Okay. And that was
1: for Channel 4 here in the UK, and it came out in
0: 1994. So for people in the States who may not have heard of this person, Robert Black, can you talk about his background and his crimes? And I think he was really kind of a wanted figure for quite some time in the UK, right?
1: in, in, In simple terms, Robert Black was Britain's worst ever child sex serial killer in the end he was convicted for the murders and abduction and sexual assault of four young girls between the ages of five and eleven and also he was convicted of the uh, abduction and uh, killing of a fifth Uh, sorry abduction and sexual assault of a fifth beyond that Black is believed, and on very good evidence, as we'll come to, to have been responsible, to have been the killer of at least 14 other young girls across the UK, Ireland, and Europe over a period stretching from the late 60s to the late 80s. It's incredible.
0: It's like 20, 30 years or something like that, like a long period of time.
1: Yeah, Black's first conviction, and I guess we'll come to how this emerged. Black's first conv- conviction dates way back to the early 60s. Um, you know, he was an offender. He was a paedophile from his teenage years. And he offended from the 60s onwards it would take until 1990 for him to be caught
0: right hundreds i mean there's stories about him he was like a delivery guy and just opportunistic abuser i would would yeah i mean again to place this in some context black
1: black's pathology is not the norm for pedophiles you know most child sexual abuse takes place within the extended family. It's not in the majority vast majority of cases a stranger abducting, raping, and killing a child. Those are a small percentage of the case of the cases of child sexual abuse. Black was the epitome of those small number of cases. Yeah, he, as you say, he worked as a delivery driver. That meant he traveled all over the UK and Europe in his own van, largely to his own time, time scale. So he had a lot of freedom within that. And being a delivery driver, being a van driver, gave him almost invisibility. I mean, if you think about everyday life, wherever you, you or your, your listeners and viewers are, what do we see every day that we barely notice? We see delivery vehicles. And, you
0: know, we don't notice them, do we? Black. There's so well, many here, Amazon and all these other new companies. Well, I mean, in, in, in the next case,
1: there was no, least, bear in mind, this is the 70s and 80s. There was no logo on the side. It was just a plain van. Um, and no one takes any notice of those. And he used that, the invisibility, the anonymity that that gave him. He would search carefully for what he deemed as suitable victims and would rehearse it, would plan it out, would test it. And when he deemed the time Right and the circumstances suitable, he would grab his victim, bundle the child into his van. in a, in the space of five ten seconds. That's all right. it took each time.
0: And there was and, one. I think you mentioned there was one victim. Her name was Susan Maxwell. was out of sight of her family for like a minute and a half. That was it.
1: Yeah, that's and that's that that's the norm in blacks criminal history, I mean, in some cases, it's even less than that, it's a matter of 30 seconds. And that's all it takes for a big, powerful man to grab, to snatch a small child, throw her into the van and speed off. I mean, that's all it takes. You know, And he did this up and down the country and it appears in Europe for decades and for decades or for years the police came
0: nowhere near catching him but they knew that people were disappearing right they didn't know who the perpetrator was Her kids were disappearing. i mean the big what were known
1: at the time as the big three cases were the case you mentioned a young girl called susan maxwell another girl called Caroline Hogg, and a third girl called Sarah Harper. And all three had been abducted in the space of seconds from their, in or around their hometowns. And these are small towns, mostly in on the edge of Scotland, Northern England, or in Sarah Harper's case, in a suburb of Leeds, the city of Leeds. And their bodies were found Many weeks later, hundreds of miles away in a different part of the country, in what became known as a triangle, an area in which he he dumped the bodies, and you know the 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 hunt at the time for the abductor and killer of Susie Maxwell, Caroline Hogg, and Sarah Harper was a massive, massive, nationwide manhunt in the uk but it got absolutely
0: nowhere and how did he end up getting uh caught how did he end up getting i mean you think that he went through the scottish system too i found that to be curious like they had something edinburgh procurator fiscal like something back from the roman era who went yeah. through that, and that yeah scotland has a very
1: different legal system to england and wales and yes the procurator fiscal kind of equivalent to a DA in the States, except they're not elected officials. Um, Yeah, he had a record dating back in the Scottish system, because he had grown up in Scotland. And that, as I say, went back to the 60s, um, and then he'd moved to London. How did he get caught? He got caught, as is depressingly often the case, by chance so in the summer of 1990 he's driving his van in the uh, in the area known as the the scottish borders that's just above the border with england and these are small rural quiet communities and he is seen abducting a very young girl think a six-year-old girl someone catches sight of her feet disappearing into his van and raises the alarm, calls the police. By the time the police catch up with this van, it's outside the little town, outside the little village. And the the van is stopped, the policeman stops the van and he tells Black, who's the driver, to open it, and he looks in the back, and at first he sees nothing, and then a hint of movement in under what he look what looks like a pile of clothes or rags catches his eye, and he pulls all these rags apart, and he sees a sleeping bag, and he undoes the sleeping bag, and inside the sleeping bag, bound and gagged, with a hood over her head is a small child, what is utterly extraordinary is that the policeman who did that, when he pulled the sleeping bag off the child's head, he was staring into the face of his own daughter. What? Wow, that's incredible. He didn't know. He didn't even know she was missing. Wow, that's incredible. Um, Black had Black was caught red-handed. He had sexually. In the time he'd had, he'd already sexually assaulted this child. And he was caught in the act of abducting her. He was obviously charged. When it came to court, and he pleaded guilty because he had no choice, the court heard that the child was no more, no more than 15 minutes away from suffocating inside the hood and the gag and the sleeping bag. And Black was duly sentenced to life in prison
0: in 1990. Something. So he committed, he said he was guilty, but he never admitted to the totality of all of his criminal acts. No, and this would be a pattern that will follow throughout Black's following
1: years. He would only admit that which he could not deny to the police. Most of his interviews to the police then and in the years followed are peppered with the words, no comment. But he's caught red-handed, he can't get out of it. He's arrested, charged, pleads guilty and is sentenced to life in the summer of 1990. And two things follow from that. The first is that the police here look at this man and say he's the prime suspect for not just for the big three killings which have never been solved, Harper, Hogg, and Maxwell, but for a number of others, of a number of other unsolved child abductions and murders. And so they begin an, an even bigger police operation, detective operation, to try and fit the pieces together. At the same time, although he'd pleaded guilty, Black decided he was going to appeal. And he he wasn't going to appeal against his conviction, he couldn't. But he was going to appeal against his sentence. He did not want a sentence of life in prison. And his lawyers, as part of that appeal, decided they were gonna get an assessment of the risk Black posed from the country's leading expert on child sex offenders, my friend and colleague, Ray Wire. And Wire goes up and he interviews Black and he realizes over the course of those interviews, as the first two interviews, that Black is a uniquely dangerous man. And that the sentence was absolutely right.
0: Black should not be released. He was far too dangerous for that. And there's a picture of these two together right there on the cover of your book. You can see it on YouTube, The Murder of Childhood, or on the book yeah. cover itself. And you know, that isn't those initial sessions.
1: I, I guess we'll come to that in a second. You know, so. Ray writes his report for the lawyers saying, no, 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 I'm not going to recommend anything which would help you in in this appeal. And on the morning of the appeal, with this denunciation by Ray, Black drops his appeal against his sentence. And that would normally have been the end of that. Except that Black... Decided that his conversations with Ray Wire were helpful. And he because he himself wanted to know what it was that drove him and had driven him all his life to sexually abuse children who then died. And so he got in touch, he got black, got in touch with Ray and said, Would you come and see me again? Would you help me? would you help me understand? He couldn't pay Ray and Ray wouldn't have accepted the payment in any event. But Ray said, yes, I'll do that on the condition that you let me record those interviews and that you let me use them to educate people in the child protection business and the public about how to protect children and families from men like you. And Black said, yes, that's fine. And so for the next two and a bit years, Ray trekked up to the prisons in Scotland where Black was held and recorded 20 hours, 20 hours of agonizing, and and, and I mean it's agonizing, interviews in which he explores with Black what. Black had done not just in the cases that we knew about, but in other cases and other crimes and other abductions. And he began. Ray began amassing these recordings, and he said to me very early on, "Do you think there's something we can do with those?" And I said, well, Yes, there is. There's something very important we can do with those. People need to understand what makes a man like this tick and how to stop him. And so we began working on a book and a film. And all of this time, the police inquiry, the police investigation into Black's responsibility for the other killings, the big three, is going, going along. Ray couldn't talk to the police because instantly that would have mean, meant that the conversations that black was having with him would become evidence and would in fact not be ever would be nullified as evidence they could never be used. So there were two tracks going along. There was Ray talking to black there was the police inquiry and I was in the middle.
0: And unfortunately, Ray's passed away, right? He passed away in 2008 from a stroke, so. Yeah, I mean, Ray died after an extraordinary
1: lifetime of the most remarkable work. And the book that we wrote, as you see on screen, is about his work as well as about his work with Black. And it's about the prejudices and the unthinking hostility of both politicians and the press and the public to working with paedophiles and how that makes children far more unsafe as Bray kept saying and I've kept saying all the sa- at the same time and we said together <laughs> to anyone who would listen the best way to protect children, is to understand how pedophiles operate and what
0: makes them tick. And, and if, if you I don't
1: do that, you don't stand a chance.
0: And I think there was a part in your book where, like, somebody did an inquiry into Black, and externally he showed no psychological, you know, uh, imbalances or something. Like he was, he was externally when they talk to him, normal, right? I think it was one of the Scottish I mean, ones, Black Black was clinically and legally sane.
1: No, we can have a discussion about how sane you have to be to want to do this to children, but legally and clinically, Black was sane. He was, however, a paedophile and an extreme type of paedophile who derived sexual pleasure from inflicting such pain on the children on his victims that in his twisted thinking they had to die to be spared this that's i know sounds obscene it is obscene but that is what emerged from all these conversations. And I know this because I was the one listening to every one of those tapes, every minute of those 20 hours of tapes. And the contents have never left me. And I don't think anyone who heard them would ever be able to forget them.
0: I bet. And what else did uh, you and Wire learn about those, about his processes and thought processes and self-justifications? Nothing, I mean, again, we always have to be careful in this
1: because it's so easy for people to say, oh, you're trying to justify, you're trying to excuse the man. And we're not. Nothing could be further from our minds than to justify or excuse what Robert Black did. However, we were able, and Black was able, which is what he was after in the first place, to understand how he had got to that point, what Strands of his life and experience had led him to the point where he abducted, abused, and killed children. And there were there's never any one motive or strand. Never. It's always a complex web, a complex skein of of motives and, and experiences. Some of those date back to the abuse he suffered himself as a child. Severe abuse from a very, very young age. That doesn't justify what he did, but it's a factor explaining what created him. Some of it relates to his use of and access to child pornography, which reinforced
0: those desires and validated his belief system. And he went to like, he was involved in kind of the child pornography network, right? Copenhagen, Amsterdam. I think he yeah, traveled I mean, it's, there, so he was- it's,
1: it's It's not really a very well known story these days, but there was a 10 year period in Europe, primarily in Denmark, in which it was legal to produce, sell, and distribute child pornography. And commercial companies did that. This is in pre video camera days. This is in the days when everything was shot on film. And large companies, there were large pornography companies, adult pornography companies, had divisions, had units, producing child pornography. Um, those films and magazines were shipped around the globe when i talked to the police here in the uk and to law enforcement in the states whenever they raided a pedophile and arrested a pedophile you could guarantee that this material material was there
0: and i did it I re- uh, did a book about the Oakland serial killings in Detroit, and it was a pedophile network, but they were getting material from, I, I think, Denmark or Amsterdam or something, the Netherlands or something like yeah, that. I mean, so that was, was in the was, 70s too, 70s or 80s. There was, that, there was that, it was an idiotic
1: period in which, particularly in Denmark, it was illegal for companies to do this, and they did. And, you know, for clarity, what we are talking about are films and magazines showing the sexual abuse of pre-pubescent children yeah it was called child pornography but it's simply a record of the sexual assaults on children and they're, they're harrowing to watch but black
0: consumed these it, you know, it wasn't difficult to get hold of this stuff at that point and did you or Ray Wire did you see this? I mean, then the justifications, this, this is scientifically acceptable, or this is evolutionary biology justifies this, and that's why we can break these laws. What kind of rationales did what black do you mean and other in, in black's mind?
1: Do you mean in black's mind or in the wider society?
0: Both. I mean, either both. I, I don't. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, I think in black black was not an intellectually advanced man. I mean, he, he'd left school as a young teenager. Um, I don't think you would ever call him an in intellectually a clever man or someone who would be able to conceptualize that form of academic justification. On a more fundamental level, the existence of child pornography, the free existence of child pornography meant, and this is common to pedophiles, meant he could look at this and say, well, you know, other people don't. You know, it, it's there in a magazine, it's there on a film. It can't be all that bad or all that abnormal. And it, it has a reinforcing effect. Leaving aside the abuse the children Who were abused to create the damn material in the first place suffered. Outside, you know, leaving aside black and his particular in his limited understanding, but kind of emotional understanding of it, if you like, I have always been astonished by the tolerance of countries like the UK. And Europe, and to some degree the United States, for child pornography. It's you know, the it was the argument used to run. Well, you know, how can being filmed hurt these children? Well, they're being filmed, being abused. That's how it hurts them. Plus, their abuse is then used to generate more abuse of other children. So. But that was the argument, and it was a gross misunderstanding. And maybe, maybe, we could say, well, we've moved beyond that now. We, we understand that's, that's not the case. Except, again, many of you, your viewers will may have seen this. Just uh, a month or so ago, um, a U.S. academic, a professor published a book in which they, the professor is trans and uses the pronoun they, which is why I'm using it. So we've got to stop calling pedophiles pedophiles. We have to call them minor attracted persons. Yeah, yeah. Um, And we mustn't stigmatize them. And you know, as far as that goes, maybe that's okay and then this professor said you know there is you know, we need to think about because there's evidence that consuming child pornography will help pedophiles not abuse now that's nonsense i mean it's it's scientific nonsense it's statistically nonsense and it ignores the fact that the children are abused to produce the stuff in the first place but that concept evidently hasn't gone away. You know, it's been produced and promoted, but in a book by a tenured academic. Now that person has now lost the position. Again, I'm not arguing to stigmatize and put a yellow star on pedophiles. I'm saying we need to understand them, but we don't need to justify them. You can condemn what they do
0: whilst trying to understand why they do. Right. And it goes into the concept of like consent, abuse, uh, uh, voluntarianism or involuntaryism. There's all kinds of rationales. And it seems like an intellectual pops up every couple of years to justify pedophilia and child pornography and all this stuff. It seems like that. There's other ones, and I remember the one that just happened within the last month too. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's part of a cultural, the
1: cultural warp and weft of Western society that has somehow got this very badly wrong, in my view. And again, for what this is worth. A few years after I made the film about Robert Black, I made a film about where that cultural belief stems from. And I was able, very, without much difficulty, to trace it back to 1948 and to the United States and to Indiana, as it happens, when Alfred Kinsey published his groundbreaking first volume on male sexuality. In many ways, an important book, because it challenged some of the idiotic laws that existed in the States, sex, sex laws for adults. But there was a chapter in that book, chapter five, purported to be the scientific data showing according to this data that experiments proved children were sexual beings and children could could enjoy sex with adults as it turned out and as my film showed that information had come from pedophiles who had abused children and then sent Kinsey notes saying yeah they enjoyed it they oh it's great they had a great time and I timed it with a stopwatch and they, they They were fantastic. They they loved it. It was nonsense. It was absolute scientific drivel, and it was merely the evidence of very serious crimes. But Kinsey published this, and ever since then, somehow this vague notion that Kinsey said, well, children are sexual beings and they can enjoy sex with adults, has been woven into this... uh, the fabric of Western thinking and indeed Western sexual education programs. Now it's it's nonsense. It was nonsense then. It's nonsense now.
0: And it's it's just dangerous nonsense. Very dangerous. That was all funded by the Rockefeller family. Um, there was no none of that. A lot of that so-called science that had the presumption of science was really scientism. There was no third. He disavowed or disallowed third-party. Analysis no, we'll of his research.
1: You know, what's the basis of us, of, of, of the basic element of, of any scientific data? It's peer review and evaluation. You know, in the case of the paedophile data, Kinsey merely got reports from men who were sexually abusing children and timing what they did. Sent these written reports to Kinsey and he published them as fact. You know, there was no attempt to evaluate that data there was no a, attempt to review the conclusions these pedophiles happily reached about their own abuse of children it's it's not even science but if it were science it's junk science
0: it's junk science If that yeah it's and there's like an infamous graph in the, it's what sexual behavior and the human male Sure. It's totally been disavowed and discredited. Uh, Kinsey what, was... You uh, right. it no, it hasn't. Well, you're right. I think in some circles, in my mind, he's been discredited as a crank. But it's yeah. sad that other people take him seriously. You're right. I, apologize. I mean,
1: no, not just take him seriously. You know, I I think, and I'm not making any judgment on the rest of Kinsey's research because that's not my field. Adult sexuality. What adults do with adults ain't none of my business frankly, consenting adults. But I think his utterly irresponsible, dangerous lies about so-called child sexuality need mean, need to be debunked and need to be removed from the, the fabric of our understanding or our belief system. The problem is they aren't. If you look at sex education teaching in the US particularly, and over here in the UK, much of it is based on Kinsey. And and the Kinsey Institute trains sex educators. I think sex education is a great idea. I really do but you got to be careful what you're telling people. And the Kinsey Institute has never, never disavowed the child sex experiments it's or all the conclusions that Kinsey reached.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can talk about his relationship with Kenneth Anger and all this other stuff. I mean, we're at 45 minutes, Tim. What? How would you like to end this? Is there anything you'd like to add, anything I'd missed? Yeah, I mean, oddly, it's a,
1: it's an element of congratulations for the United States. Yeah, and for me, I'm sitting here in, in the UK, and for the 30-odd years I've been working in this rather depressing field, I have always looked with respect on the US law enforcement approach. You guys take this much more seriously than we do. In the UK, the protection of children is not a priority. It's just not assigned a priority. A previous prime minister 10 or 15 years ago described the abuse of children here as having been and being on an industrial scale well, black fits into that, doesn't he? Um, we don't take it seriously. I wish we took it as seriously as you guys in the US do. No, what you do isn't perfect. It will never be
0: perfect. But damn it, at least you're trying. We don't try. Hmm. That's curious. I mean, is there, do you have time for a quick question? Sure. Is there any evidence of black being linked with a child trafficking ring? No. Nothing. None. So Black dead. was a loner. Black operated alone, abused alone, and died alone. Right, he died of a heart attack, right? In in jail, never got out. Yeah, in jail.
1: Um, and he took the se took the secrets of what else he'd done, these other cases, to his grave. And I should explain that Ray's conversations with Black, which went on, as I say, for two years, there's twenty hours of them, were stopped by Black's lawyers when he was charged with the big three child killings. And there was never thereafter any attempt to understand or find out what this man had done or why he had done it. It was an enormous opportunity squandered.
0: Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. Oh, yeah. It's a really disturbing story. Again, the title of the book. Is, where's the best place to get it? Your website. Do you, do you sign author copies, or is it through Amazon? I
1: mean, I can, I can, I can sign author copies. It, it's available on Amazon or in bookstores or wherever. Whatever, Barnes and Noble. Is Barnes and Noble still going? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Okay. Good. Great. Um, it's available. Um, it's in print. We wrote the book. Originally came out in '94 this new edition um, came out uh, in 2018 and it's updated so it has new information and some of that is addresses what we've just talked about about how little we have learned and how little we care to learn in the uk and
0: i think the intro has from uh Ray Water's wife, too, who has an intro, too. So she contributed some of her information. And again, the title of the book is The Murder of Childhood, Inside the Mind of One of Britain's Most Notorious Child Murders. And the author, again, is Tim Tate. His website is www.temptate.co.uk. And do you know if the uh, documentary that you did about the book or, or Black is still available online? Uh,
1: it's available on my website. Okay. Um, it's, it's, not a, it's not on... Channel 4 doesn't maintain right films that old, but you can view it on my website um, Good. Uh, Good along as well with the documentary on Kinsey should you want to watch that.
0: Oh, really? Okay, great. And that's on there. because The reason I asked is because the other one we did about North Korea is on Vimeo, so the link is on your website. You can see it through your website. Thanks so much for your time, Tim Tate. Really appreciate it. Thank you, William. All right, take care. Stay there.